Although it was chilly, and I had on a sweater and jacket, I was wearing Bermuda shorts. The wind raised goosebumps on my legs as I installed the wooden flagpole at the stern, and accouterman patriotism forbade at night, but which we needed for the white light that glowed from its top. How the electricity could run through this pole as soon as it was plugged into its socket mystified me. I dared not ask Dad for an explanation lest he give me one. The leather seats were cold, but they warmed under flesh soon enough, skin to skin. Pulling away from the dock generated high anxiety. Pulling in was worse. My father, who'd been a Texas cowboy as a young man, could laugh at twisters and rattlers, but everything about this alien medium, cold, bottomless sliding, alarmed him. He was wearing his absurd captain's hat. All his leisure clothes were absurd, jokes, really, as though leisure itself had to be ridiculed. He was half standing behind the wheel. The motors were churning, the spotlight on the bow was gyrating, the red tip of his cigar was pulsing. I'd ventured out on the deck, untied the ropes, tossed them in, jumped in the boat myself. Now I was crouched just behind my father. I was wielding a long pole with a hook on one end, the sort used to open upper windows in stuffy grade schools. My job was to push us safely out of the berth before my father threw the toiling motors into gear. It was all an embarrassment. Other men moored their powerboats with a single line, backed away from the docks in a simple, graceful arc, talking all the while, and other men's sons scrambled like agile monkeys across lacquered decks, joking and smiling. We were underway. The speedboat lunged forward with so much force that we were pressed back against our seats. Peter, Kevin's seven-year-old brother, was in the rumble seat, his hair streaming under the rippling flag, his mouth open to scream with delighted fear, though the sound was lost behind gales of wind. He waved a skinny arm and with his other hand clutched a chromium grip beside him. Even so, he was posting high as we spanked over someone else's wake. Our own was thrown back from the prow. The night, intent seamstress, fed the fabric of water under the needle of our hull, steadily, firmly, except the boat wasn't stitching the water together, but ripping it apart into long white shreds. Along the shore, a few house lights here and there peered through the pines, as fleeting as stars glimpsed through the moving clouds above. We shot past an anchored boat of fishermen and their single kerosene lamp. One of them shook his fist at us. The lake narrowed. Over to the right lay the nine-hole golf course. I knew it was there, though I couldn't see it, with its ramshackle clubhouse and wicker armchairs painted green, its porch swing on creaking chains. Once a month we showed up there late for Sunday supper, our clothes not right, our talk too distant and forthright, the cigar a foul smudge pot set out to ward off the incoming social frost. Now Dad's cigar had gone out, and he stopped the boat to relight it. From our high windy perch we drifted down, engine cut to a mild churning. 
When the exhaust pipe dipped above water level, it blatted rudely. Boy, I'm soaked, Peter was screaming in his soprano. I'm freezing. Gee, you sure let me have it. Too much for you, young fellow, my father asked, chuckling. He winked at me. The children of visitors, and sometimes their fathers, were usually called young fellow, since Dad could never remember their names. Old boy who had been squinting into the wind, his head stuck out beyond and around the windshield, was now prancing happily across the cushions to receive a pat from his master. Kevin, sitting just behind my father, said, "'Those fishermen were mad as hell. I'd have been too if some guy in a big fat-ass powerboat scared off my fish.' My father winced, then grumbled something about how they had no business. He was hurt. I was appalled by Kevin's frankness. At such moments, tears would come to my eyes in impotent compassion for Daddy. This.